Amen, amen. What a great job worship team did today. Let's just thank them, shall we? Fantastic. <clears throat> and you'll be glad to know that um, some of the songs today will be recorded and be made available uh, to you in the coming weeks and months, which um, I'm sure you're delighted to hear. Of course, you can always go to Apex Sings and um, find on there, on that particular platform, all that it is that we're sharing together in worship. Well, last week we looked at the way in which God guides us by his spirit, how his indwelling presence prompts and leads us along the way. And sometimes that guidance can be what I would call dog's leg guidance. It can go in this direction and then in this direction because the Lord wants to show us that his presence is enough for us to be able to keep us from the wrong path and the wrong place. And we looked a little bit of the condition of the heart that is necessary for God to be able to do this work in our lives. What are the, what are the, the, the conditions in our heart that prepare the way for God's Spirit to be able to operate in the thin place of our brokenness and frailty. And as many of you would be testifying through this last week, it was a very special time as God met with us and ministered to us and many responded to the prompting of his presence. Well, that was last week. This week is quite different because this week we're going to look at what is it that is the outcome of a life prompted by the guidance of the Spirit? What is the, what is the effect, what is the fruit of a life that is found seeking to be sensitive to what it is that God is saying and how it is that he's leading. And today I'm going to read from the message translation. I'm not sure it's one that we have loaded in the gathering room computer, so if you're at home online and you have the facility of getting hold of the message version, or if you're here and you've got an electronic version in front of you, then I'd encourage you to follow along. Otherwise, listen, because the way in which Eugene Peterson, the translator of this, of this text, uh, wrote these words is very compelling. And the reason I'm using the message today is because the nuances found in the original language are brought out better by him than the other translations that I've looked at. Acts chapter 16 and verse 11 Putting out from the harbour at Troas, we made a straight run for the island of Samothrace. The next day we tied up at New City and walked from there to Philippi, the main city in that part of Macedonia, and even more importantly, a Roman colony. We lingered there several days. On the Sabbath, we left the city and went down along the river where we had heard there was to be a prayer meeting. We took our place with the women who had gathered there and talked with them. 
One woman, Lydia, was from Thyatira, a dealer in expensive textiles, known to be a God-fearing woman. As she listened with intensity to what was being said, the master gave her a trusting heart, and she believed. After she was baptized, along with everyone in her household, she said in a surge of hospitality, if you're confident that I'm in this with you and believe in the master truly, come home with me and be my guests. We hesitated, but she wouldn't take no for an answer. So here is a remarkable woman, a woman named after the region from which she hails. She's from the region that was the seat of power of the ancient empire Lydia. The Lydian Empire ruled the, the area around Asia Minor, central Turkey today, and had enormous influence before it was subjugated by the Persians. This, this empire had many great cities within it, pro- probably the principal one of which was Sardis, where, where the fabled king Croesus lived, the richest man in the world. And this, this, this region, along with the cities that, that lived there, was, was very proud of its heritage. And so perhaps this woman, maybe of noble birth, was given the name of the region to which she belonged. She came from a city known for its near-industrialized process of dyeing cloth, particularly wool. This this process of dyeing was, was so significant, was so was so important that it provided perhaps the most important source of wealth for the citizens of that city and the areas around it. Aaron pointed out that, um, <clears throat> that one of the ways in which dye was created in those days was the murex shellfish. It's, the, it's, it's actually a snail. Um, it's, a, it's a carnivorous sail, snail, if you can imagine that. It, it hunts in groups. I imagine the prey would need to be very slow. (laughs) And of course, it's found in the ocean. Well, Thyatira is way, way into the central part of modern-day Turkey, miles from the sea. And so archaeologists and others have wondered how it would be that Thyatira would be such a center for dying. But of course, there was a plant called the madder plant that grew in the area that produced red dye, just like these snails. And so there's been this big debate in biblical scholarship, because they've got nothing else to do. Did I say that out loud? Sorry. Um, As to whether it was possible that the snails were used by the dyers of Thyatira. Until very recently, when the snail shells turned up in an archaeological dig. 
praise the Lord. The riddle has been solved. So clearly they use different forms of of originating product to create these special dyes. But what we need to remember is this, that the purple dye, this this reddish purple dye, was so was so desired, was, was so recognized within the ancient world that really this became the center of high fashion. And so Lydia, this, this woman who sold purple clothing, was really part of the haute couture. She was a fashionista. She was a lady that understood all of the trends and movements of, of the culture of the day. And it would be unthinkable that a woman, single, alone, with a household, would be able to travel through the ancient world, setting up households in various different locations without significant wealth and power behind her. A single woman traveling alone would not get very far. She would have had a security detail. She would have had a complete coterie of household servants. There would have been other members of her household. This was a remarkable woman, a woman of real insight, wealth, purpose, and passion. And she finds herself in the retirement community of Philippi. Philippi is a place of such martial history, of such historical significance, that Roman legionaries would ask for land as part of their retirement package in this part of Macedonia. Now, that was strange, especially that many of those Roman legionaries were from Italy, quite a long way away. So why was that? Well, Philippi was the ancient seat of power of the Macedonian people. King Philip, the one who gave his name to the city, is best known for the son he produced called Alexandra. And there... From that seat of power, the greatest empire the world had ever seen emerged. And this young man in his 20s traveled the world, subjugating nations and revealing through his genius, his insight and strategic ability that he was able not only to conquer, but to control enormous swathes of territory. Julius Caesar, when he sought to become the ruler of Rome, imitated the life of Alexander to the extent that he sought to take on his identity. And when his adopted son, Octavian, came to stand against his assassin, Brutus, it was in the battlefields around Philippi that they met. 
And there, Brutus was defeated and fell on his own sword. And Octavian took the name Augustus Caesar. And the Roman Empire, as we know it from history, was born. Augustus Caesar, of course, was the emperor at the time of the birth of Christ. And so this is an amazing place. And if you go there today, as I've been fortunate to do, you'll see that the city still has this sense of provenance, still has this sense of quality and stature. There are libraries and theatres. There are baths and gaming rooms. It's kind of like a men's club gone crazy. This was a place where people had lots of disposable income. And if you were a clever entrepreneur and you were looking for a market for your expensive clothing, you'd go to somewhere like Fort Lauderdale. You'd find a little retirement community in Florida. Or you'd go to Philippi. And so clever old Lydia turned up with her household. No doubt rented or purchased a property and set up shop there. Now Lydia is enormously important, not simply because she's mentioned in Scripture, but because she becomes the first of a type. A type that is now well studied by the social historians of the early centuries of Christianity. Rodney Stark, perhaps the best known history of the sociology of the period, a professor at Baylor, has pointed out that women of wealth and nobility were perhaps the most important agents in the security, in the stability, in the development of the early church. Great numbers of noble-born women would gather the early church into the protection of their homes. And there, the church would be cultivated, developed and grown. There, within the precincts of those Greco-Roman households, they would find peace at the end of a working day. Even the slaves who were only released from their work when the sun went down, would be able to find their way for worship in these homes. And that worship described by, by historians like Eusebius and Herodotus tell us that they took place after dark so that all of the slaves could join along with the free people. And there in worship, they were equal and there was a complete power balance among them. These women were remarkable. These women were heralded by 
the person Lydia. And when we get to chapter 18, by the person Priscilla. But this is the first time in written and recorded history that such a person is lifted up to our observation. This is a very special person. And it's her work and the work of women like her that ensured that you and I are here today. So let's spend a little time with Lydia. Let's think about the kind of person that she was. And let's, let's ask ourselves whether we want to be that kind of person. And whether in becoming that kind of person, we become more like the person of Jesus. Most often, the women in the congregation, online and in-house, have to listen to the descriptions of men in Scripture and make the translations necessary. Today, it's quite the opposite. All the men will have to listen intently and with patience as we describe a female character who you'll have to translate into your experience. Quite a good thing, I think. So let's, let's think about Lydia. She's described in particularly glowing terms here. And you get a sense of who she was. <clears throat> Incidentally, there are some commentators who wonder whether this remarkably attractive woman, we don't know anything about her physical beauty, but just reading the text here, there's an amazing attractiveness about her. This attractive woman perhaps attracted Luke to stay on. Luke, of course, uses the pronoun we in these verses. And so speaks in the first person plural. And then he doesn't appear again until chapter 20. Four years later, when Paul in leaving Ephesus, goes to Philippi and picks him up. And again, we have the pronoun we used and the first person plural. I wonder what Luke was doing. I wonder what was going on there. Who knows? We'll have to wait for heaven to find out. When you look, of course, at this remarkable woman, you notice some important things about her. She has open ears because she's listening intently. Did you notice that? She has open ears because she's listening intently. She doesn't want any words to fall to the ground. She doesn't want anything of significance to be missed or forgotten. She's leaning in. She's, she's wanting to ensure that every important subject that's being covered is something to which she attends with patience and perseverance. She listens 
with intensity. She has open ears. Because she has open ears, the Lord opens her heart. We want to think that we have the capacity to open our heart and close it. But of course, the truth is that so often we discover that the handle is on the outside and not the inside. The Lord opened her heart. Was it in response to her listening intently? I don't know, but it would seem to suggest as much. Yes, it's only the Lord that can open our hearts, but it's only us that can listen. And so do you want an open heart? Do you want a heart that is available to Jesus? Do you want a heart that is able to be filled with his presence? Do you want a heart that is able to welcome his presence and power? Well, listen intently and he'll open it for you. Open ears, open heart, open home. Isn't that interesting? She's listening intently. The Lord opens her heart to believe. And in her believing, she's able to step over so many cultural barricades that it's incredible that she does it. Just think for a moment. Four guys, preachers, young, maybe attractive, turn up in town. There's a lady who's involved in the fashion industry. House full of models. Who are able to carry themselves along the catwalk. And the preachers turn up and they go and live there. How does that go down with the Southern Baptist Convention? <laughs> How does that go down with the local Pharisees and Sadducees? Would people be tutting, shaking their heads? Today, for sure, 2,000 years ago? Holy moly. Are you kidding me? Now, let's be clear. Lydia is a woman who lives outside of the boundaries of people's expectation. She's a single woman, after all, with an entrepreneurial flair who's able to travel the world and make money out of her business. I mean, that's amazing. Given the conditions of the day when women are not only thought to be second-rate, second-place citizens, but some philosophers of the time doubted whether they had a soul.
Were women little more than objects of pleasure or procreation? Were women a solution to a man's purity? Those would be questions that would be asked 2,000 years ago, and they're questions that are still current today, sadly, and rather foolishly. Women, of course, are able to speak for themselves. Much better that they spend time explaining the intricacies of what it means to be an object of pleasure or procreation or somehow the solution to men's addiction to sex. Which is probably the most idiotic thing I've ever heard in a church. And they're not ancient thoughts, they're contemporary machinations, they're contemporary reflections. But that's not where Lydia is. Lydia is a woman of passion and purpose. And in, in that passion and purpose, she's also a woman of perception. She knows which rules to break and which ones not to break. Otherwise, she'd have never made it this far. But this particular rule, I mean, wow, is she running close to the wind. Why did she do it? Why did Lydia take the risk? There are pitchforks and torches ready. Why did she do it? Why would she be described in the terms that she was so clearly described? In a surge of hospitality, if you're confident that I'm in this with you and believe in the master truly, come home with me. Be my guests. We hesitated. <laughs> you bet they did. Hesitated? <laughs> I mean, you'd do more than hesitate today, wouldn't you? I mean, this is Paul we're talking about. He hesitated. <laughs> I mean, I imagine the guys are looking at each other going, Are you kidding? Of course they're reluctant. Now, before I get on to Lydia, just have a little pause for a minute. Let's just put a sidebar here. How did Paul overcome his reluctance other than responding to the persistence of Lydia? Well, I think that he's a man who operates consistently. And so therefore will be functioning according to the terms of guidance that he understands. And so the prompting of the Spirit within him would be saying to him, listen to Lydia, do what she says. The, the Spirit within him would be disposing him to listen carefully 
to what it was that was being offered. And of course, he's in a group with Luke, who will be compiling his gospel. And in that gospel, Jesus will be recorded as saying, when you enter a town and are welcomed, and the person of peace invites you into their home, stay at their home, and do not move from house to house. In Luke 10. And so the scriptures and the spirit would be confirming what it was that he was hearing. And so his natural reticence, his cultural reluctance would be overcome by the prompting of the spirit and the guidance of scripture. But still, there has to be someone else in the relationship and that person is Lydia. And she, this amazing woman, of remarkable persistence. She's not prevaricating, wondering whether it's true, the thing that she's believing. She's going after it. She's not, she's not taking the woman's prerogative to change her mind, as some have foolishly suggested, is a woman's prerogative. She's persevering. And she has, and here's a Victorian word that we might not be using very much these days, she has remarkable perspicacity. Before you check on your phones, it means perceptiveness, persistence, perseverance, perspicacity. Where did it come from? She listened. The Lord opened her heart and she believed. Where did she get her confidence? She got it from the Lord. How did she get her confidence? Because the Lord gave it to her. Why did he give her confidence? Because she listened and therefore he could open her heart and impart to her the greatest gift. And because she has confidence, she can persist in her confidence. And because it's a gift of confidence, she's not going to be swayed because it's solid and secure and stable within her. It's not confidence that's been trumped up by her own personality. It's not confidence that's given to her by another human being. It's confidence that's been imparted to her by the Holy God himself. And because she has that confidence... She can persist because she has that confidence. She can continue. So many struggle with confidence. And the reason we struggle with confidence is because we don't know where to get it. 
And we blame our parents for dropping us on our head as a baby or our parents for doing something awful to us. And of course they did. All parents are awful. I was. Confidence is a gift of God. And even to the most broken heart, it can be imparted. So what should you do? Well, Lydia will tell you. Listen intently. Listen intently. And he will open your heart and give you the gift of believing. And when you believe, you'll be able to persist and continue. Well, just before we finish, I just want to address the question that I hear hanging in the air right now. Okay, so I get that. But what happens if my confidence evaporates? What happens if I was confident yesterday and I'm not confident today? Because it seems as though it comes and goes. It seems as though if I'm honest, some days when I've slept well, I'm really confident. And other days when I haven't, I'm really not. So what do I do with that? When I was a younger man, not massively younger, but younger, I had a, a motorcycle, um, one that Sally was even prepared to ride at that stage because she was younger too and didn't think that I was mad. And it was called a Honda Transalp. And the reason I bought it was because it was the best bike for people with long legs. People with short legs couldn't ride it. It was so high. And it was set so high because it was designed for the desert, for the Paris-Dakar race. And I used to ride it when we lived in Arkansas because Arkansas is a place that it doesn't matter which road you're on, if you keep going, you run out of blacktop. And that's what I used to do. And I would come across all kinds of communities with pit bulls and shotguns. And at that point, I would turn around and go back the other way. <laughs> on one occasion, I was out on my Transalp. And I'd taken my Bible along with me, as I usually did, because I used to find a quiet spot, and then I'd read my scriptures, and then get back on my bike and ride home. And I was way, way out in the middle of the wilderness. And I put the bike on its stand and reached for my Bible, and it was gone. And I had no idea where I dropped it. But I knew the path that I'd traveled. So I started the bike, I turned around. And I went back the way I came. And sure enough, there it was at a turn in the path. 
If you're not confident today, then go back to the place where God's word made you confident. Don't be stubborn today. Don't be resistant today. Listen. Open your ears. Go back to the place where God's word gave you confidence and stay there until that confidence, a gift, settles again in your heart. Lydia, this amazing woman, this deeply attractive, persistent, perceptive woman, has taught us a lot, I think, today. And as you consider these things and ask God to give you confidence, here's here's my encouragement to you. Use the time remaining in our worship online and here in-house. And if you're here in-house, then come and use the space for reflection. Come and use the space to return to that place on the path where you heard the word. And if you find yourself here, standing, kneeling, laying, flying, whatever posture is most helpful to you, Nobody's going to trouble you. They won't pray for you. They won't pray over you. They won't interfere. And if you're on this side, then the prayer team will be recruiting members of the congregation to pray over you. But again, they'll be doing that in such a way as not to be intrusive in your time with the Lord, but simply blessing that time. And if you hear his word today, do not harden your heart like the people did in the wilderness. But come listen and have him open your heart afresh to receive his word and the confidence that he wants to give you. Amen.